And then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, keep secret what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. That's interesting, huh? And then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it, the sea and everything in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. And then the voice from heaven spoke to me again, go and take and open the scroll from the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. And then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Amen. Can you just say amen to the reading of the word tonight? Let's look at a scripture up on the screen. Uh, Revelation chapter 10 verses 6 and 7. I'll kind of give you an insight of where we're going tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is what the verses say. He swore on an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it, the sea and everything in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. And when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled and it will happen just as he announced. And then this phrase, to his servants, the prophets. I want to just kind of go back through the Old Testament because in chapter 10, what we're going to be dealing with now is we're dealing with the, re, the reality of the rise of the Antichrist. Uh, this tribulation week that we've been talking about in the book of Daniel, uh, this seven-year period of time, this becomes the rise. Uh, the next several chapters, chapter 10 all the way through, are going to be the rise of the Antichrist uh, pretty much all the way through chapter 17. Chapter 18, the city of Babylon uh, where I believe the Antichrist and Satan will rule from, will be destroyed. And so we kind of get an introduction. Things are starting to shift. No more delay. Uh, we're starting to move forward where this Antichrist spirit is going to rise up. I just want to give you a, a brief uh, overview of where we've been. The first half of the tribulation, that seven-year period of time, we've seen the seven seals and then last week the seven trumpets. And this one says, now that the seven trumpet is here, there is no more delay. And now we've kind of finished the first half of the three of the seven years. We're three and a half years in by chapter 10. And when we get into chapter 10, there's uh, six chapters, 10 through 15, that are called what we would say mid-trib. And it kind of goes back and forth of just a lot of stuff that's happening at the middle point. Not, not like that it's scattered out over a length of time but just what is happening in that time, what's happening in that, that middle point of that three years. And chapter 10 through 15 are going to let us know. And then we move to the final three and a half years, 
which is the same instant. So what you just kind of have to know in your mind is in this middle point, there, there is specific things that are going to be happening that we'll talk about as we come back in the chapters to come. And then we move into the final three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. We find out that the Antichrist is going to be marching on Jerusalem, moving troops, the drying of the Euphrates River. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff coming in those chapters. I look forward to getting there. Let's look at this, though, in these chapters in the rise of the Antichrist through the first half of tribulation. Daniel chapter 9 says that he will rise as a master of intrigue. He will make a covenant of peace and return to temple worship. So the first three and a half years, this person called the Antichrist rises to power. He rises to power globally. He rises to power sitting over the governments of the world. And he makes a covenant with the Jewish people uh, to restore the temple, to restore the worship on the temple. And then when we get into mid-tribulation, things begin to change because he ends that agreement and he calls himself, uh, sets himself up as God. So these chapters we call mid-trib, which basically if you want to read that, Matthew 24, 15 through 16, and we'll read some of this and pull it out. But we're starting to get introduced into the Antichrist that now uh, becomes possessed by Satan and begins to do the work of Satan himself. Chapter 16 to 19 will take us all the way through the Great Tribulation. Let's look at some of these prophecies that were made by Daniel as we, as we read in verses 6 and 7. Some of the prophecy read, uh, spoken by Daniel about this Antichrist, about this person that will rise to power. It's been very speculative of who it will be, where they will come from, and how they will rise to power. But let's look at some of the things and see if we can gain some insight about the rise of this master of intrigue. Uh, Daniel chapter 8, verse 23 through 26. And at the end of their rule, when their sin is at its height, a fierce king, and I love this uh, in green on your screen, the master of intrigue. He will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. And there again, I'm, that's why I'm kind of holding on this uh, thought that the holy people are not just the church. We, I believe the church has already been removed their earthly work has been finished and now this master of intrigue rising to power is going to try to devastate the Jewish people, God's people. And it says this, this is one of the ways where I'm really going to take you tonight is he's going to rise to power through the, being a master of deception. And so by the time we get to the end of tonight, this chapter 10 that we opened up where God says there is no more delay, things are coming quickly, we find ourselves in the, in the three and a half year point to where things now, the Antichrist rises to power. Satan inhabits him and he becomes a great master of deception. And I want to pull out how I believe this work is already going on now. Daniel chapter 9 verse 26. And after this, a period of 62 sets of seven, that's our 483 years, the anointed one Jesus will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And then it says this, and a ruler will arise, which is going to be the Antichrist, whose armies, and now again, 
back to the Jews who will destroy the city and the temple. Again, the Antichrist is not, I don't believe, coming after the church. The church is removed. I believe he's coming after the God's holy people. He's coming after Jerusalem. He's coming after the temple. He desires to be God. He desires to rule over this land that God promised to Abraham that would be the holy land. And as we get into the later chapters, we're going to look at this of how out of Babylon came this ruling over the whole uh, promised land. And so he's trying to destroy it. And then it says the end will come with a flood and war and miseries in decree. And then it says this, until the time of the very end. So this master of intrigue is going to rise up to begin to destroy the city of God. Daniel chapter 9, 27. He'll make a treaty with the people, that's the Jews, for a period of one of the seven sets of seven for seven years. But after half of that, three and a half years, he'll put an end to the sacrifice and the offerings. That's the Jewish temple worship. So what this is telling us is this person is going to rise to power He's going to create a covenant with the Jewish people. He's going to allow them to rebuild their temple and begin to make sacrifices to God. In the middle of the three and a half years, uh, right at the three and a half year, the middle of the seven, he will proclaim himself as God. He will stop their worship. He will set an image up of himself as God, and he will require that image to be worshipped. Revelation 13, we'll see that in a few weeks when we come back. He will, he will demand that they worship him through, through an idol worship. And when they don't, he kills them. So the way he's going to rise to power is globally through deception. When he rises to power globally through deception, he makes a covenant with Israel to start their sacrifices again. They start their temple sacrifices uh, at the three and a half year mark. He stops it completely, says that he's God puts his image in the temple and requires people to worship. Well, I'd like to know how a human could get to that level of global control. I'll teach you tonight how I already believe it's, it's happening even as we sit here tonight. Daniel chapter 12, listen to this again from the prophet Daniel. But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I've said I've kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by trials, but the wicked will come. That's the Antichrist. He's labeled as the wicked. The wicked will come in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. Jesus, Matthew chapter 24. Let's see if we can get a feel for what it's going to be like when this Antichrist rises. Uh, John will tell us in 1 John that, that the spirit of Antichrist is already here. It's already working in the world. It's already working here, moving about among the people of the earth. This is Matthew 24, 15. Jesus, the day is coming and you will see. And, and then Jesus links it back to Daniel. So Jesus is going to validify that everything Daniel said is true. So he links back to Daniel. So we have Jesus putting his finger in check mark on the prophecy of Daniel. He said, you'll see everything Daniel spoke about, the sacrilegious object, that's that image that he sets up, the sacrilegious object could cause desecration and again in the holy place. That's the temple in Jerusalem. A lot of what's going on in this final three and a half years is going to be in that Middle Eastern 
location between Babylon and Jerusalem in that Iraq, uh, Saudi Arabia area, Libya in the Middle East, uh, all the things that we've been uh, showing you on the maps in the past. He said that the reader must pay attention and then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Again, a very Jewish moment here as it talks about it. Matthew 24, Jesus again, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity, that's that seven-year period of time, unless that seven-year period of time was shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Uh, and I believe that too is the Jewish nation. God says, if I don't step in and do something, it will get so bad there will be nobody left. All of my holy ones will be gone. Uh, the Antichrist will attempt his best to annihilate all of the Jews that are on planet earth because he desires to rule in the temple and claim himself as God and they're not going to worship him. Orthodox Jews would not ever worship Satan if he puts his image in the uh, temple because to them that's sacrilegious. And so Jesus is warning them here to, to walk away. But let's look at this. I want to talk tonight specifically about the Antichrist. Uh, in chapter 10 through 15, we have the, the rise of the Antichrist coming to ultimate power. But there's so much uh, mystique around who he is. Is it a man? Is it a woman? It is, is it a kingdom? Is it a, a bunch of people? Is it one person? Uh, here you can see all through the years, uh, many people have tried to speculate who the Antichrist is. They tried to take the number 666 and apply it to different people. But you have some, well, Gavin Newsom from California must be the Pope, Hitler, Donald Trump, uh, Barack Obama. Everybody seems to love to pull. And what's interesting here is most people who try to make the assumption of who the Antichrist would be will always tie it to politics and religion. I'm going to teach you that tonight of why that seems to be, that it's always a political leader uh, and it always has some kind of religious stint to it. So let's just jump into it and let's try to see what's going on and what is taking place about this person called the Antichrist and let's see if we can pull it apart a little bit. Revelation 13. This is a chapter that everybody probably loves and you know can't wait to get to because it really does a lot to speak to this nature of the Antichrist. Here it is. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and then, and then this, to conquer them. Now, this is one reason I think we're not talking about the church, which again, I believe has been finished, their earthly work of witnessing finished, and they've been raptured out because it says he was allowed to conquer them and what we know to those of us who trust in Christ, we won't be conquered. We're more than conquerors. Come on, somebody. And he was given authority or rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. So this Antichrist spirit, what we know about him, he's going to rule over the whole world. And all the people who belong to this world will worship the beast. So it makes you ponder and think, how could one ruler govern us all? I mean, right now, we just came off the hills of a Donald Trump presidency where, uh, you know, he really made nationalistic pride in America skyrocket and America first. Uh, and you kind of think, how can anybody rule the world as long as you have countries like America or a country like China 
who's not going to be ruled by anybody else, but this seems very clear that the Antichrist will have global rule. How do you get one human being to have global rule? How do you shift a population on our planet to put themselves under, willingly, under the rule of Satan himself? Uh, right now, we, we don't even like thinking that, a, that China could control us as a country, much less be controlled by one person who controls the whole world, even though maybe Facebook is... Twitter's getting pretty close. I think Facebook now is like the number one uh, nation of 2.2 billion people. So I think, you know, we kind of understand what global control is, the cancel culture. We understand that there can be globalism and a global mindset, but to have one person ruling the globe seems a little foreign. Revelation 13 says this, though, about the Antichrist. He required everyone... Small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. We'll, we'll dig this out deeper in the weeks ahead, but just for the thought tonight. To take a mark given on the right hand, and no one could buy or sell without the mark. Verse 18, wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. So here's what I do want you to know uh, concerning this this antichrist that rises to power, this antichrist that comes up, and we're going to look at this in depth. We're going to look at the meaning of 666 in the weeks ahead, so I don't want to belabor the point here. But I do want you to know that the antichrist will have a global rule over economics. He won't just control governments. He won't just control culture. In other words, the way you think, the way you reason, uh, the, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, he will do such by controlling the economy as well. In other words, if you don't do what I tell you to do, well, you can't continue in economy. Uh, probably 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 2 years ago, we would have laughed at this. But over the last year with COVID, we see this is very much a reality. In one fell swoop of a pen and a snap of a finger, the entire global economy is shut down. We were shut down over a year in America. Churches shut down. Businesses shut down for the sake of a virus. But yet you couldn't buy. You couldn't sell. Uh, you couldn't open your business. You couldn't worship in your church or synagogue. You were not allowed to do anything. All because the government checked a box and said you must comply. And if you don't comply, we'll fine you. We'll shame you. Uh, we'll reject you, we'll talk about you, we'll cancel you. And so for one whole year, I think it's become very clear now that it is possible to shut down a global economy. It is possible to control you and me through globalist mindsets and globalist governance. Uh, you know, I mean, just in the last few weeks, uh, you know, just the whole thought of feeling shamed if you walk in somewhere and you're the one that doesn't have a mask and they make you feel shamed for not having one on, whether you agree with it or not, make you feel shamed that you didn't get a vaccine and if you don't get a vaccine, you can't fly or you can't shop or you can't travel to certain places and do certain things and enjoy venues and events. I do believe now, reading this, we have a better understanding that global control, global governance is possible. It is a great possibility. Let's look at this. I want to show you something on the spirit of Antichrist. There's no denying that the claim 
that the rise of the Antichrist will be a blending of religion, a blending of politics, and a blending of the economy. And we're going to talk a lot about this in the future, so I won't belabor the point tonight, but this rise of the Antichrist is going to sit, especially when we get into chapter 17, we're going to really look at how this Antichrist rises up on this uh, global world agenda and, and how this prostitute sits on top of it. We'll study all that out. It's going to be very interesting when we get there. But for now, uh, understanding the Antichrist, he's going to rise to power by blending politics, blending religion, and it's all going to be around the economy. So politics, religion, and economy. And again, I say just in this last year, 2020, it has been a blending of politics, religion, and economy. When have you ever known in our country anyway where really religion has shut down uh, or been shut down by governance? Economy has been shut down by politics, the global economy. Uh, so it, it's really, uh, you know, a mind-opening when you look at what's going on right now and how the system of Antichrist is really moving. Look at 1 John chapter, chapter 4. This is, this is really intriguing to me because as, as we sit around and try to determine, well, who is it going to be? Where will they rise to power? 1 John chapter 4 gives us a real nugget of insight, and here it is. The nugget of insight is, but if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world. And then this phrase right here, this phrase right here, indeed, it's already here. So the system of the Antichrist is already here. Whether we know the person or not, whether we know his name, whether we know uh, where he's coming from or who he is, that spirit is already at work. So what we need to know is we're part of this end time move. We're part of the prophecies that Daniel gave, that there's coming this master of intrigue who will rise to power globally. And then yet here we sit with, well, that spirit, not the person, but the spirit of that is already here. It's already working on our planet. I think you could say uh, it's pretty clear. It's even been working this last year in 2020 with politics and religion and economy all working, although we may not put our finger on it and say that's the work of the devil. We can definitely say that it's moving a culture of people into thinking how governing and politics and religion go hand in hand and can be so manipulated in a short period of time. But if it's already here, if the spirit of Antichrist is already here on our planet, what does it look like? What does it smell like? Can we put our finger on it? How can we recognize it? As Jesus said, we need to have understanding. As Jesus talked to us and said, uh, you know, when we talk about this person who's to come, who's an abomination, uh, let the reader understand that we need to have understanding about what's going on. So we're going to try to do that. We're going to look at two things tonight specifically. We're going to go back to the Old Testament and try to understand the spirit of the Antichrist that is at work. And when we understand how it works, tie it into what's going on right now in our own country to see maybe how far along this process of the rise of Antichrist. Matthew 24 is where we're going to start. Jesus is talking here about the end times. 
He's talking about his coming back. And he says this, Do you not see these temple grounds? His disciples were pointing to the various temple buildings, but he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely destroyed. Verse 3, Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, and then I love this, Tell us when all this stuff is going to happen. They were just as intrigued as you and I are. Here we sit in 2020 going, we want to know when the end of the world's coming. When is Jesus coming? When is the Antichrist? Who is the Antichrist? Well, these fellows were doing the same thing. Tell us when you're coming back. Tell us what it's going to look like. Tell us what the signs of the time will be. And Jesus says this. Uh, they said, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And Jesus tells them, here's his answer. When the Son of Man returns, and he ties it back to the book of Genesis. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah, which is really fascinating anyway. Like, is it going to be, what do you mean like the days of Noah? And then he kind of tells us, in those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings. Right up into the time Noah entered his boat, People, verse 39, didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. So let's just make this connection. What will be the sign of you returning? And Jesus says, well, like it was in Noah, and, and then let's sum it up, people won't even realize it. So one thing we can know about the spirit of Antichrist, it can be working on planet Earth and we won't even realize it. We could be going to, right toward destruction, running full throttle toward destruction and not even realize we're headed toward destruction, Jesus said. So here's a question. Can the days of Noah, according to Jesus, can the days of Noah teach me something about that spirit of Antichrist that will be here in the end as, as the end of the world approaches? So Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, it's going to be like that when I come back. And here's what you can know. They had no clue it was here. They were deceived. They were blind to it. But, it. but seemingly like it should have been very clear. So can we go back to that day and look? So let's just try it and see what Jesus says again. He says, but what? This is still Matthew 24. He says, but what if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while? He begins beating the other servants and partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. So Jesus himself is going to let us know, I'm coming back. It might be a long time. It might be a while to where you kind of forget about it. You, you, you lose sight of it. And then you become deceived. Well, he's not coming back, which is what he said. He was a master of deception, the Antichrist. He's going to rise to power in a time, in a way where you really won't even know it. You really won't perceive it. But Jesus says we have to be careful. Even though he's not back for a while, we can know what it's going to look like right before he comes back. So let's go look at it. Noah. This is uh, the story of Noah in chapter 6. This is what God says about that period of time. Verses 5 and 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was very sorry that he had ever made them and put them on the earth and it broke his heart. 
So one thing we can know right before Jesus returns again, he said it'll be like this. What will it be like? Well, as we move forward in the chapters ahead, it's going to be like that the world is totally evil. I don't know if you even feel that way now. You feel like you're one of the ones on the outside. You, you believe things that the culture doesn't believe. You believe things that the world doesn't believe as almost you're now the outsider. You're now the low man on the totem pole. Because if we watch what's going on in the world, we have the thought that it's just totally evil. Who would ever thought we would be talking about the things we talk about today? The perversion that's out there, the, the sex trafficking of children, totally evil, Jesus said, and it broke his heart. Now let's just turn there, if you will, if you don't mind. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And I just want to read a few things that I think are very important, especially as God comes down and begins to, verse 14, begins to tell Noah to build this boat. And let's see if we can kind of see what's taking place that we could move to us today. Verse 14. Build a large boat from cypress wood, waterproof it with tar inside and out, and then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat, now listen to this, make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof and all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build the three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you, so enter the boat, you and your wife, your sons and their wives, bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be, to be alive, kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. And then verse 22... This is very key to understanding how it was in the days of Noah. Come on, look at it. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Now Jesus says, before I come back, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Typically what we think is the evil. We think of all the terrible things going on. But in the days of Noah, what we have is God establishing something about God. He demands that we do it his way. So as we approach the end of Jesus returning, I believe there's going to be where God is demanding that his people obey him specifically. Noah did everything identical to how God commanded him. In other words, 450 by 75 by 45, Noah couldn't just come along and go, yeah, you know what? I think maybe 350 is plenty big. I think maybe 50 feet is plenty big. And, and, and then he kind of just does it his own way. Here's the deal with having to do it like God commanded. If he doesn't build the boat exactly like God told him to do it, you and I wouldn't even be here tonight because the thing is not going to float. It's not going to work. You want me to tell you how I know? Because God never gave Noah an opportunity for a trial run. He didn't come and say, let's see if this thing will float. 
Let's check this boat out and let's see if this boat will float. Could you imagine God giving you a job and a hundred years later coming back and expecting that you did it exactly as he told you because you don't get a trial run? If you'll build it my way, it will float. If you build it your way, everybody dies. And Jesus is connecting us back to this moment, back to this moment with Noah, that God demands exact, complete obedience, not half-hearted, partial obedience. Because if there's partial obedience, it doesn't work. If there's partial obedience, we can be led astray. And so where we're going in this kingdom of Antichrist that will come to set this up, you better know he's going to be watching this. And the Antichrist is watching something right here with Noah. Uh, because the devil's been around the whole time, right? The spirit of Antichrist is already here. The spirit of, of the Antichrist, the devil, he has been here from the beginning of time. So can you imagine this moment for the devil watching this conversation between God and Noah play out? God's like, I'm really kind of brokenhearted here of all the evil. And the devil's like, yeah, man, I'm taking the world over here. And God comes down and talks to Noah and says, Look, here's my plan. Build a boat, 450 by 75 by 50 or by 45. Build it this way because this is exactly what I want. I'm coming back in 100 years. I'm going to annihilate every human on planet Earth. Now, when God did this and destroyed the entire kingdom of Satan, all the humans that Satan had infected, all the humans that were working for Satan's kingdom, and God came and built a boat with a guy and destroyed all of Satan's kingdom and left them alive, what it told Lucifer. And probably told Noah and his family too. What it told them was, uh, Lucifer, is that God has a system. And God's system is you comply or you die. You either do life my way, complete obedience, the days of Noah, so when Jesus says the days of, it'll be like the days of Noah, what we learn about the days of Noah is it establishes a sign of the way God governs. And God governance demands complete obedience. Now Lucifer watched this, that governing by God demanded complete obedience. And when there was complete obedience, there was a great uh, result that came out of it. Here's the thought. In Genesis, God establishes with humans that worship is complete obedience to God's governance. So what the story of Noah is going to teach us is that true worship is complete obedience to the way God governs. In other words, God's not asking us for an opinion. God's not asking us what we think. God simply says, do it this way. If you do it this way, you live. If you don't do it this way, you die. Now the enemy, Lucifer, is watching that, and here's the thought that he sees. What is the sign of Noah's day? The sign of Noah's day is comply or die. <laughs> you know, we try to say the sign of Noah's day, they were marriage and given in marriage. Well, they've been doing that for years. Oh, it was totally evil. Well, evil's been here since Adam and Eve. But the sign of Jesus' day is there was, a, there was a sign given from God. You either comply and you come under my government or you die. And Lucifer watched this play out. You either do life under God's government or you die. Look at this scripture. 
Because now I want to take you into the book of Exodus and take it a step further and show you how what's happening is the devil is grabbing on to something. The devil is grabbing on to how God governs. He's grabbing on to the way that God works his kingdom. And he works his kingdom this way, complete obedience. And if you don't completely obey me, you die. Fast forward to Revelation 13. What does the Antichrist do if you don't obey him? You die. If you don't take my mark, you die. He's been watching how God does it. He desires to be like God, and he's going to mimic it in the end. Let's go to the book of Revelation, uh, the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus in the Ten Commandments is going to teach us something as well about God. Chapter 24 of Exodus. And Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord has given. And they said this to them when he, when he went to get the Ten Commandments. We'll do everything God has commanded. And look in the blue there, verse 4. Moses carefully wrote down everything God instructed. He writes it down for them. Because we're going to learn something again about God's governance. When the Lord finished, chapter 31, when the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave them two stone tablets with the terms. Those are the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. Exodus 32, verses 25 and 26. Moses saw that Aaron had let all the people get completely out of control, much to amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and shouted, all of you who were on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And the Levites gathered around him. Verse 27 and 28, Moses told them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one camp to the end of the other. And I want you to kill everyone. Look at this now. Kill everyone. Kill your brothers, kill your friends, and kill your neighbors. How could this be? I mean, this is... Ludicrous. Here are the instructions I wrote. I'm going to bring them to you. You broke the instructions, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell you, you got to kill everybody. I mean, the Old Testament is just a strange reading if you don't know what's going on. And they have to go and kill everyone. And then how many people died that day? Come on, 3,000 people died because they became disobedient to God. And God said, look, you disobey me, you're dead. And killed off 3,000 of them. But how many of you know, whatever God starts, he finishes. Everybody want to fast forward to the book of Acts. How many people were born again on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 people. God brings them back into the kingdom. 3,000 died for disobedience. And God brings 3,000 back in on the day of Pentecost because he's teaching us something. Moses 32 verse 29 and Moses told the Levites, Today you've ordained yourself for the service of the Lord. And listen to this. For you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and daughters. Here's the thought. In Exodus, God establishes with his people that to worship him is to be governed by him. And the reason I'm taking you this way is to let you understand that Lucifer has been watching this play out. Lucifer watched it play out with Noah. You comply or you die. You do it exactly as I tell you or I kill you. 
In the book of Exodus, God is dealing with his people, his holy people. When he deals with his holy people, he gives them the written law. When he gives them the written law, he teaches them, the way you worship me is to be governed by me. If you want to know what worship is, it's that God controls your life. Worship is not you sing songs. Worship is not that you just read your Bible. Worship is that God controls your life. And that's what he was teaching us in the Ten Commandments. I'm going to govern you with these commandments and that is how you worship me. So here's the governance of God's kingdom. God's kingdom now is comply or die. So with Noah, you comply or you die. And with the kingdom of God, you comply or you die. And Lucifer is watching this play out. And he's going to move his kingdom into the same mode. You either comply or you die. You either comply or I kill you. So this is the whole Old Testament, which is why it's so weird to read. The whole Old Testament is setting up a system of the way God thinks and the way God governs. And the system is you do it my way and live or if you don't, you die. He sets up the way he will govern and be worshipped. You either worship me complete obedience or you die because that's the way I govern. There is no middle ground. Jesus will say it himself. There is no lukewarm. I would rather you be hot or I would rather you be cold. But when you ride the fence in the middle, I would as soon vomit you out of my mouth. And that comes from Jesus, right? The gracious, loving Jesus who is in the New Testament, who seems so wonderfully kind, even makes the remark in the book of Revelation that I cannot stand lukewarm behavior from people who worship me. Either be all in or get out, completely out or completely in. Don't ride a fence, don't put one foot in and one foot out. Why? Because the kingdom being established is God rules and God is worshipped by comply or die. All right, Not very romantic for us today until you come to the New Testament. In the New Testament, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far away. Acts 2 verse 40. Peter continued preaching for a long time, urging the listeners, Save yourselves from the crooked generation those who believed what Peter said were baptized, look at this, and were added back to the church. There's the 3,000 people. And were added back. So here's what happened. Old Testament, comply or die, 3,000 of them dead instantaneously because they did not do what God told them to do. But Peter comes back and says, wait a minute. You can repent of your sins. You can repent of your sins and live. Why? The governance of God's kingdom that is comply now and live. Like God flipped the switch on Lucifer. Lucifer's been watching the whole thing, comply or die with Noah, comply or die with Egypt, comply or die all through the Old Testament. Wait a minute, why this now? Why this thing of comply and live? Well, here's my question for you. My question, if God's kingdom governance is comply or die, but because of Christ, it's comply and live. And submission to God's government is our worship. 
then what would our surroundings look like if the spirit of Antichrist was here? You see, Lucifer's watched all this play out. He's not just been in the background. He's watched how God treated Noah's generation. Everybody who didn't comply died. He watched how God treated the Israelites. Everybody who didn't comply died. Suddenly Jesus comes on the scene. Lucifer's thinking, wait a minute, everybody better comply or die. And then Jesus dies, right? A sinless death for us. And now says, well, if you believe, you don't have to comply or die. Now when you comply and come to me and worship me, you will live. I won't kill you, but you will live. Listen to this in Numbers 14. I think it's interesting. It's going to help us understand what's going on. They said as they were led out of Egypt, why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Listen now, wouldn't it be better? Now the question we're trying to answer, let's go back and just look at it one more time. The question we're trying to answer, what would it look like if a spirit of Antichrist was ruling? How can we put our finger that it might be working among us? So that's the question. The devil's been watching it play out. Look at what he said in this verse. A spirit of Antichrist, wouldn't it be better and better for us to do what? Wouldn't it be better for us just to go back to Egypt? And they plotted how to go back to Egypt. Numbers 24 and 5. They start whining. Why did you make us leave Egypt? Why did you bring us to this terrible place, this land that has no grain, no figs, no grapes, and no pomegranates? Because Egypt becomes the first ruling governance that really governs God's people, takes them under control. Uh, he watches what happens with Noah, comply or die, and now he's watching the book of Exodus. He's got Egypt there ruling and governing them, and God brings them out, and now he starts tempting them, hey, wait a minute, come back. Come back to the land of Egypt. Here is what I think the spirit of Antichrist that's working is literally doing. It literally says, Egypt will meet your needs and supply your wants. Meaning, trust the government of Egypt rather than the government of God. Trust the government of Egypt rather than the government of God. So God establishes to Noah, trust me. Comply or die, trust me completely. Establishes to Moses, comply or die, trust me completely. They wander around in the Egypt, uh, in the wilderness, and suddenly say, wait a minute. We should go back to Egypt because God is not going to take care of us. God is going to let us die out here. God is going to turn his back on us. Let's just go back to Egypt. Let's go back under slavery. Let's let somebody rule us. Let's let somebody control us. Because already the enemy, the spirit of Antichrist, is putting in the minds of people that to be controlled by a government is a very normal thing. You're not to be controlled by God. You're to be controlled by a, government. a government. The government takes care of you. The government provides your needs. The government gives you food. The government gives you housing. The government gives you a stimulus check. The government, that's the way Lucifer set this up. Why? Because he wants to govern a group of people who no longer trust God, who turn their back on God but are going to worship him. And the moment they begin to worship him, he will do it through the system of comply or die. 
Here is what Egypt teaches me about the spirit of Antichrist. First off, that government is your source. Government meets your needs. Government controls your happiness. Government controls your health. And government controls your future. That's what reading Egypt teaches me. God says, look, I got you out of this place. I want you to worship me. And then he brings them back. The enemy tries to bring them back to go under this thing because they can't get out of their mind that Egypt is my source. Egypt's where I had my food. Egypt's where my family was. Egypt's where my happiness was. And the spirit of Antichrist is simply this. He flips it around and says government is God and government is the great I am. This is what he's learned. What he's learned from God is that government is God and government is the great I am. I am the one that does it. Revelation 13, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast and the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would worship him. And here it is, comply or die. You will either worship me or you will be killed. Here's the thought. The government of the Antichrist kingdom is comply or die because I said so. He's watched it with God and now his own kingdom is going to mimic the kingdom of God. He's going to kill people because he desires worship. He watched God do it with Noah. He watched God do it with Moses. And he realizes that if I can control through government, I can get worship. Here's the question. Comply or die, how does the devil get the whole world to think this way? You would think comply or die, it's not worth it. Why would Noah decide to build a boat? Why not just say, this is the dumbest plan ever, I'm checking out of here, comply or die? How does, how does the devil get an entire world? Because he has to get us here. Because he's watched God establish the way God governs, comply or die. The way God rules, comply or die. And then Jesus comes along and flips the system. No, now comply and live. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And Lucifer takes this system on himself. Comply or die because I said so. How does he get the whole world to live this way? He does it one small step at a time. And I think this is where we are today. How could a spirit of Antichrist be working in our world today where a group of people in 2020 would give the government such power to shut down churches and businesses? How do we let a man or a woman govern the whole world to tell us we better do this or else, go against everything we think is true or else? Here it is, one small step at a time. It simply starts this way. Comply for your safety. If you'll just comply, you'll be safe. If you just wear a mask, you'll be safe. If you'll just get a vaccine, you'll be safe. Comply for your safety. Next, comply for your family. You do it for your family. You do it for grandmama. You do it for granddaddy. You do it for your children. You see, as the spirit of Antichrist begins to come in the world, he begins to understand there's great power in getting a population of people to comply because he's moving us to what? You either comply and worship me 
or you die. But if he showed up on the scene right now and a guy said, hey, I'm God, worship me or die, most people are like, dude, you're an idiot. We're not worshiping you. So he knows that he has to shift the thinking of people. He has to shift the way the culture of our planet thinks. So he starts with, well, comply for your safety. Pretty simple. A government rule. Wear your seatbelt. It's for your safety. Just put it on. If you don't put it on, we'll give you a ticket. Hey, don't text and drive. Comply for your safety. Nowadays, it's, uh, well, wear a mask for your safety. Not only for your safety, for your family's safety. Oh, wait a minute. Why don't you comply for your health? Uh, right now with this virus going on, this pandemic, comply for your health. You just need to stay home. You don't need to get out. You don't need to hang out with your friends. You don't need to barbecue together. You don't need to have Christmas. You don't need to celebrate together. You need to comply. Why? Because I'm the government and I'm trying to get you to obey me and I'm trying to get you to do it because it's about your safety, it's about your family, and it's about your health. Who would have ever thought that one uh, global pandemic of a virus could have guided us to this place? Could have, could have guided us to the place of uh, one virus called corona could get us doing all three instantaneously. But all three, it could get us doing all four of them. Now you need to comply for other people. You may be perfectly healthy. You may not even have a head cold. But I want you to wear a mask anyway because other people might get sick. So now you're healthy, but I want you to comply. I want you to listen to what I'm saying is the government because I'm doing it for your best interest. I don't need you to trust God. I don't need you to put your faith in God. I need you to listen to me as a government. And so this is what's been going on. I mean, whether we you know, like it or not, our government has been mandating rules and mandating systems of government. Why? Because the spirit of Antichrist knows the only way I can rise to power is to start getting a global population to comply. But I can't start with comply or die. It's too rash. I have to work people into it. And so, you know, here we are, 2020. We're pretty worked into these that are here. Comply for others' health. But how about this? It even gets worse. Hey, if you, want, if you don't comply, you can't go shopping. There's economy. If you don't do what I tell you to do, if you don't get a vaccine, if you don't wear your mask, you can't come into my store. You can't eat here. You can't shop here. So you can't even have economy. If you don't listen to the way I tell you to do it, you won't even be able to enjoy the economy. And you won't even be able to eat. Uh, you know, we're going to shut down every restaurant. Uh, you, you, you comply or you don't eat. So if you want to eat, we were Robin and I were on a date the other night and we were in Atlanta and we got out, and we couldn't even go in the restaurant without a mask. Nothing wrong with that, right? You put on a mask, you go in. But what's happening is it's touching everything that is meaningful to us because when something's meaningful to you, you will comply. When it's meaningful to you, you will give over a system of governments or somebody else because it's meaningful to you. It's meaningful for me to comply. It's meaningful for me to do it for my family, my safety, my health other people because I really want to go to Target and because I really want to eat at Longhorn. But then it gets deeper. And I think this is where we kind of are starting to become as a culture now here in America. You either comply or you're shamed. And this is all through our culture. If you don't think like me, if you don't think the way I think about LGBTQ, if you don't think the way I think about transgender, if you don't think the way I think about your pronouns, he, she, I, me, and all of that, boy, girl, I'm going to shame you. 
I'll shame you into not wearing a mask, and, and you're not wearing a mask. Just walk into anywhere in midtown Atlanta and just try to walk around without a mask and watch how quickly people kind of cut their eye at you. Uh, just uh, last week, somebody told me they were in the grocery store. In the middle of the grocery store, they didn't have a mask on. Somebody came up and just started hollering at them. Could not believe that they were in this grocery store infecting other people. And the person said, well, I'm not even sick. How could I infect you? And then they went right through. Well, you need to put on a mask because of me. You need to put a mask on because of health. You need to put a mask on because it's safe. Every one of these things playing out now. I know it may, not, it may seem rather silly, right? Like it's just America. It's just a pandemic. It's just a virus. But we started out with the spirit of Antichrist rising up in chapter 10. And that spirit that's here is working to move us somewhere and then comply or be silenced. We call it the cancel culture. If you don't do what the government tells you, if you don't do what the culture tells you, we shut you down. We stop your business. Uh, we shut down your, your businesses. We shut down my pillow. We shut down whatever it is. We'll shut your church down. Uh, there's a pastor now that's in jail uh, because he didn't comply. He, he kept having church services and they've arrested him and taken him to jail because the government said he couldn't meet. And he said, I'm meeting anyway. I have a right constitutionally to meet. Well, he's been shamed. He's been talked about. His church has been protested against from the uh, liberals. And, and now he's trying, they're trying to silence him. Comply or be silenced. And then the final one, number nine, comply or be banned. We'll, we'll ban you from going anywhere. We'll ban you from travel. We'll ban you from being able to buy a home. We'll ban you from being able to shop. We'll ban you from health care. So all of this is going on. How do they get to us to a place? And then the final one is this. I just told you this is happening. You either comply or be jailed. So how do you get a global population to worship Satan when the end result of Satan is, if you don't worship me, I kill you? I mean, that seems pretty clear. Just don't worship him. It, you know, just, I don't like that option. Worship me or die. But, but really, let's look at what's going on with this spirit. You, you, you need to worship for your safety, for your family, for your health, for other people's health, so you can shop, so you can eat. And if you don't do that, I'm going to shame you, I'm going to jail you, I'm going to ban you, I'm going to silence you. All of this we see going on now with the new buzzword, cancel culture. All of this going on is nothing more than the spirit of Antichrist. It's working to shame people into compliance, scare people into compliance, fear people into compliance, uh, silence them, ban them into compliance. Why? Because the end goal of Lucifer is now you will comply or you will die. We will kill you. If you don't do what we say, we kill you. We don't just shut your business down. We don't just shut your family down. If you don't do what we tell you to do, we shut everything down and we kill you. And this is where we're headed in the next few chapters. We're headed into a system of government where a system of government ruled by the Antichrist, watching how God governed, watching how God did it through Egypt with his people. Lucifer comes and says, Well, I now know what worship is. If you don't worship me and comply, I will kill you. Why? Because he's Antichrist. He's not going to bring life to you like Jesus. He's going to kill you. This is the way I'm going to become God. You will worship me or die 
It is going to be how this final uh, thing plays out. So I want you to understand as we roll into this thing, as we roll into this moment of the Antichrist coming in to begin to annihilate the, the earth with the Jews and to begin to set his kingdom up, he's going to simply do it one step at a time, one small move at a time, one small thought at a time, and you don't even know the spirit of Antichrist is here because I simply did it for my safety, my health, somebody else's health, my family. I did it for the betterment of other people. I just wanted to shop. I just wanted to eat. I just felt like I was being shamed. I didn't want to get banned. I didn't want to get silenced. I definitely don't want to go to jail. And all of that is nothing more than to tweak the minds of a population to begin to come to a place where they could worship Satan, comply or die. Let me pray for you and bless you. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for what we've learned. Thank you for opening our eyes a little bit to this. Uh, Lord, the intrigue of the Antichrist is going to rise. And God, right now in our nation, as we see what's going on with this, the spirit of Antichrist is working already among us, this moving among us in the systems of our government and the systems of cultural thinking. Father, I pray like Jesus said, we would be aware. We would be smart and we would understand. And God, we would understand to be bold and strong and to live like you said. If you love me, obey me. God, that we would be people of obedience. We would be people, God, that sell out 100% to you. That our worship is our obedience. And Father God, I pray right now that everybody listening, everybody watching would understand that our worship is our obedience. And we would become obedient to your people, God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.